we're learning the sicha. We're learning the sicha from Chelik Yotes on two ba'av, a yamtav that's coming right up. Uh, we're learning this morning in the schos of Rav Yosef Yitzchak ben Sima Chasya and Masha Bas Batsheva. This sicha is a siyum on Mesech Tainis. It's not for the faint-hearted, but we got this. Seif Aleph, Isa B'Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Seif Meseches Tainus, at the very end of Tainus. Amar Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel said, Lo'yhayu yamim tevim liyisrael k'chamisha asa ba'av. There was not a great day for B'nai Yisrael. There wasn't a great, there were not great yamim tevim for Yisrael, like Hamisha Asabaov, Okiyam Hakipurim, and Yom Kippur. What was so great about these two days that they eclipsed all other holidays and all other days? Shebehen Benais Yerushalayim, the Yesh Gorsim Benais Yisrael, because on these days, the days of the, the girls of Jerusalem, or according to other versions, the, the women of Israel, the, the single women of Israel, they would go out in white clothing that they had borrowed, and they would dance in vineyards. And what would they say as they danced in the vineyards in their borrowed white clothing? Bachor, young man, lift your eyes, please, and see. Whom are you choosing? Whom are you choosing for yourself? Don't cast your eye on physical beauty, but rather cast your eye on the lineage of the family. Why? Because grace is falsehood and beauty is vain. A woman who fears God should be lauded. And they would say, Give her the fruit of her hand and praise her in the gates of her good deeds. This is the Mishnah. The Rebbe asks questions on the Mishnah. Aleph, the first question on this Mishnah is, it would seem that the psukim that are brought in this Mishnah are only proof texts. They only bolster the idea of al-titin and necha b'nai, do not cast your eye on the external beauty. Ki because grace is falsehood and beauty is vain. But these psukim that are brought that we're so familiar with from Chayom, but they're from Mishle, these psukim do not bolster the idea that you should put your eyes, you should cast your eye, you should pay attention to family, to lineage. The Adarabe, you might even say the opposite. In these psukim, it says very clearly, that who should be praised? A woman that fears God. And you should praise her 
in the gates of her deeds. Hainu meaning shemala seisha hiyiras Hashem umasim. This means that the true superlative characteristic that you want to see in a woman is her fear of Hashem and her deeds. And it would seem that these psukim do not support the idea that you should be looking at her lineage, that you should look at her yichos, that you should look at her pedigree, her family. So that's question number one. Again, the question is, how do these psukim support the point of the Mishnais in general? It only seems to support one point, which is you shouldn't be fixated on external beauty. But it doesn't support the other parts of the Mishnah. Bez. Bevadai, Rebbe says, surely, Certainly, there were among the women of Yerushalayim, also daughters, women, unmarried women, that did not come from special yichos. So how is it that the Mishnah records that all of these women would say to the Bachor, to the young man, cast your eye on the family? When certainly there were people from different kinds of families, maybe not necessarily a meyuchasdika family. Hakushya av mizu. So now the Rebbe introduces uh, uh, the next overlay on his treatment of this Mishnah, and that is that he compares it to the brisa that follows the Mishnah. So just to remind ourselves that a brisa is a teaching that did not make it into the Mishnayot, but was written at the same time by the same level, by the same strata. And that, that of course means that we take it with a different level of gravity. So it was written by the Tanoim and not like the Gemara that was written by the Amorai. okay? So following this Mishnah, there's a Brisa. And the Brisa comment seems to be commenting Alha Mishnah on the Mishnah. And in the Brisa Isa, in this Brisa it says, the beautiful young women amongst this cohort of the larger cohort of women from Yerushalayim or women or Jewish women, what would they say? They would say, cast your eye on the beauty, etc. What would the ones who came from very um, important lineage or families, what would they say? They, they would say, cast your eye on the family. And the women that were homely or comely or not so beautiful, what would they say? They said, take what was given to you for the sake of heaven. This would mean, according to the Brisa, that only the women that fell into the category of who came from a very special family would say, cast your eye on the family. And if it is so, in other words, if the Brisa is describing it in such a way that only the said to how is it possible that the mission should say in unqualified fashion that all the women of Jerusalem, all the single women of Jerusalem would say, cast your eye on the family. In other words, there seems to be a stira, there seems to be a clash 
um, a lack of synchrony between what the mission is saying and what the Bryce is saying. The Bryce seems to be saying that different subcategories within the larger group of women from Yerushalayim, or women from uh, Jewish women, would say different things depending on what group they belong to. Whereas the Mishnah uh, seems to be saying that they all said, no, don't look at the external beauty, put your eye on the family. So those are the three questions so far. Base. Says in there are commentaries that explain that in the Mishnah too is alluded to the three different utterances that were said by the three different categories of that are more specifically threshed out in the Brisa. And now the Rebbe is going to explain where there is an allusion in the Mishnah to the utterances of all three categories. The first, when the Mishnah says the words, raise your eye and see, or like critically look at what you are choosing for yourself. So according to the Mepharshim, this is an allusion to Hain Amiras Sheyiru et that this is what the beautiful women said. And when they said Ura A and C, they were talking about what can be easily seen, which is their external beauty. Okay, And like the Braisa continues, Shain Isha that the main thing that's appreciated about a woman is her beauty discussion for another time. Now, the Mepharshim continued to say, who said, don't cast your eye on the beauty, but rather put your eye on the family. This was said by the women of important lineage. And the women who were less beautiful or homely or comely, they did not have the grace that comes with yichus, and they did not have external beauty. They have good deeds, and that is what they possess. They were the ones that said, They were the ones who said, oh, come on. You know, grace is false and, and beauty is vain. You should look at the good deeds. Like the Bryce explains that they were the ones that said, Take what was allotted to you for the sake of heaven. So the Rebbe says, when, when you see what the Mephorshim said, So this satisfies or reconciles the first question, Let's look back at the Rebbe's first question. The first question was that the Psukim seem to only support one aspect of the Mishnah, which is don't cast your eyes on the beauty. But according to the Smith Farshim, it satisfies this question, 
because the, the Mephoshim explained that the Psukim in the Mishnah actually allude to different things and don't only bolster that one aspect. But the Rebbe says, but if we're going to accept the, this understanding of the Mishnah based on these Mephoshim, then we have new problems. But the Rebbe says, but it's a real stretch that this explanation does not really comfortably reconcile um, the question on the Pshat level. Why? Aleph, first of all, from the cryptic wording of the Mishnah, the way in which it's not expounded upon, understood according to the Mishnah, it seems this is what all the women of Yerushalayim, this is what all the Jewish women said. And it's not qualifying which demographic said it. So although the Mefarshim um, explain it this way, but the Rebbe says it doesn't really allow you to understand the Pshat of the Mishnah, which seems to indicate that all the women said this and not just certain women said certain words. Base. Rifki, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. What is this... A telling us that the Brysa didn't already tell us, unless I missed a point. The Brysa already told us there's three types of women. Maybe I just misunderstood something. So let's review the question to the Rebbe. The first question was, how do the Psukim support the whole Mishnah? Seems that they only support the first aspect of the Mishnah, which is don't look at the external beauty. The second question was, Surely there were amongst the Bnei Yerushalayim women that were not miyuchasis. So how did they all say Third question was that the Brisa tells us that only the miyuchasis alone said So how does it say in the Mishnah that all the women said it? And the Rebbe is seeking to explain these questions. Okay. Plus, so first by comparing and contrasting to the Brisa. Once he brings, he brings our attention to the Brisa, so then he says, well, there's a way to explain our questions. And that is according to the Mephoshim that say that actually encoded or embedded in the Mishnah is reference to three different demographics. And the Rebbe says, okay, that will, you know, not in very comfortable fashion, but maybe this could reconcile the first question, but it doesn't help us understand one of the questions that we already asked, which is, it seems according to the Mishnah that all the women said this in full-throated fashion. And so that doesn't seem to sit well with the explanation on the Bryce base. Why would the Mishnah, and I think Tzipa, this is going to help you, um, why would the Mishnah bring the, the details that it does, specifically these details, from all of the above mentioned things that are found in the Mishnah? In other words, why does the Mishnah seem to be um, adding extraneous aspects like Bachor, take a look and see who you want to choose, and et cetera, et cetera, instead of giving us what would seem to be the more important information, which is what did each 
group of women say? How did they react to this situation? And more so, it would seem that it should be the opposite. The brisa should contain what's what's less important, what's more peripheral to the story, and the Mishnah, which is succinct, but contains so much, okay, this is an expression that explains this general style of Mishnayas, that it's that it's a, a lushan that davar katzer v'koylel and yonim It's written very cryptically. It's written tersely, but it, it, but it, it, it contains so much. That's where it should have told us what each cohort of women said. Hainu meaning, that the beautiful one said, cast your eye on the beauty. The ones of, superior lineage, let's say, would have said, cast your eye on the family. And the ones that were less beautiful would say, take what was what was allotted to you for the sake of heaven. And then in the Brisa, we would have had the details that seem to be less seminal to this story, the details that are found in the Mishnah, the Rebbe says it would have made more sense for it to be found in the Brisa, like Bachor Sa'inecha, the words, young man, uh, raise your eye, don't cast your eye on the beauty, and all the psukim that are supporting it. Especially because in this way, it would have been very clear from the Mishnah that there were three categories of And the Rebbe says, and doing this, swapping out what we find in the Brisa for the Mishnah and putting what's in the Mishnah in the Brisa would not have even elongated the Mishnah itself. It wouldn't have even made it longer. So why is it like this and not the way it would seem more intuitive? And therefore, the Rebbe says, it seems more plausible to explain that when the Mishnah says, what did they say? All of the women, the young women, the single women of Jerusalem, when they went out, the Rebbe says, and therefore he's kind of rebuffing what the Mepharshim say, that it's more plausible to state that what the Mishnah says was said by all of the B'nai Yerushalayim, and what's in the Brisa adds to the Mishnah, and it kind of, um, you know, goes into the details. That in addition to what all the women of Yerushalayim said, that in addition to what all the women of Yerushalayim said together, each subcategory would say another utterance that was appropriate to their cohort. So now the Rebbe is saying, what we're really learning is that there was a general thing that was said, and that is articulated in the Mishnah. And then the Brisa threshes out what each subcategory would say. Gimel. Now the Rebbe says, 
on the brisa itself, I have questions. We also have to understand a number of things about the brisa itself. Aleph. How could the beautiful women actually in full-throated fashion say, cast your eye on our beauty? Doesn't the Torah itself say that grace is vain and that beauty is, is not? I'm sorry, that grace is, is, is a lie and beauty, and beauty is vain? The Mishnah told us that all the women said, don't cast your eye on external beauty. Why? Because And and in accordance with what we just explained above, and all the women of Yerushalayim said, no, 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 don't fall into the bad mistake of thinking you should be looking for beauty. So how is it possible that the Brisa should come and say that one subcategory of these women, the beautiful ones, would say, look at our beauty. That's question number one. Base. On the words, on the words that were said by the comely women, by the homely women, take what was, uh, what was allotted to you for the sake of heaven. How is this a reason for marrying uh, not a beautiful woman? Any woman that you marry, you have to marry L'shem Shemayim. So how is this an explanation? Marry her L'shem Shemayim. Yesh Mefarshim, there are Mefarshim that answer this question. Shagam HaMichu Ares Yesh Lahen Masim Toibim. That, that, that the women who are less than beautiful, they also have good deeds. They're, they possess good deeds. And when they said, take what was allotted to you for the sake of heaven, their intention was, their intention was, don't get so infatuated with the beauty and the yichos and the family. Marry only L'shem Shemayim. Look at Yer Shemayim. Look at Godit. But this explanation calls for explanation. The Rebbe says, but this is not enough of an explanation because it would seem that when the Brisa says that the ones who came from important lineage said, look at the Mishpacha, it would seem simply that they were underscoring the spiritual aspect of belonging to that family. That we take for granted that the women who came from these miyuchastika families had yirashamayim, the nimsa. So therefore, it means that when you choose somebody from those kind of families, it was also L'shem Shemayim. So what are the ones that are less beautiful adding by saying, marry L'shem Shemayim? Weren't the ones that were marrying a woman from a Miyuchastika family also marry L'shem Shemayim? They only wanted that family because of the year Shemayim that comes with being part of that family. So these are the two questions on the brace.
Rebbe is not yet ready to answer the questions. Dalit. Okay, so this is overlay two. This is tier three. After the brisa, Hanal, that we just studied, Muva Bigamara Maimar Naisaf. The Gemara brings another, another teaching. And it's with this teaching that the Masechta finishes. And this is the Maimar, this is the Limud that comes after the brisa. Omar Ula Bira'a. Omar Rebelazar. So Ula Bira'a, Ula from, I think, a place called Ra'a or Yira'a, said in the name of Rabbi Lazar. In the end of days, in the future, Hashem will make a round circle of all the tzaddikim. And he will sit amongst them. He'll sit, it seems, in the middle of the circle in Gan Eden. And each one of these tzaddikim will point his finger, like it says, and these words are from Yeshayahu, and it will be said in that day, this is our God. We awaited for him, and he will save us. This is the God that we waited for. We will take great joy in his salvation. And the explanation between this utterance of the Gemara and the Mishnah that we started from is understood simply. Rashi explains. So in continuum with what was said in the Mishnah that the women of Yerushalayim would go out and they would dance, Rashi says in the word that they would dance in the dances in circles, and they would do this bikramim in the vineyards. Move a big So the Gemara connects to this and says, just like the women dance in circles, um, so will Hashem uh, make this dance, this round circle for the tzaddikim. But the Rebbe says, but it is plausible, it is logical to believe. He says that, that, that it's plausible to believe that the connection between this teaching in the Gemara about the uh, future circle of tzaddikim is not just connected to the Mishnah and the Brisa because of this one word, this one Indian of the circle. That because the Mishnah talks about a circle, the Brisa mentions a circle. So the Gemara brings another teaching about the Machul that's totally disconnected, but Machul, Machul. Ella, the Rebbe says, no. Ella, Mitzad, Kamo, Kama, Protem, Sheba, Machul, Hanaskorn, Behem, Shechamaymer. But the, 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 explan- the, the connection, rather, has to be based on a number of details that are mentioned here. Behu that the Ebesh just sits amongst them, and each one points with his finger and says, etc., etc. And in like fashion, we have to say, that once we understand that the Gemara brings this 
in continuum with the Brisa, which is said in continuum to the Mishnah that speaks of what the Bnei Yishlayim said. The, the Gemara brings this limud not stopping on the words of the Mishnah, okay? because, of course, the Gemara is a commentary, an exposition on the Mishnahis. So the way it works is that the Gemara will stop on certain words. Okay, Think Debra HaMaschil of Rashi. But the Rebbe says that the Gemara doesn't bring this limud on the words, Rather, the Gemara brings it on the Amira de Benoist Yerushalayim, on what the women of Yerushalayim said. Mashma, this means that this whole limud about what will happen in the future with the circle, it means that there is a deep connection between this limud and what it says in the Brisa, where it threshes out the different things that the B'nai Sirushalayim said. Hey, still not finished. Now we have the next overlay, overlay four. At the very end, on this limud with which the Masechet finishes, with which it concludes, we find a perplexing thing in the commentary of Rashi and the Taisipas. On the words, they will point with their fingers. Perush Rashi, Rashi explains, and they would they will say, they would say these words. So that's Rashi's parish on the on the on the Gemara. And in like fashion, the Tayspace writes, and this is exactly the term the words, call each one of the tzaddikim will point with their finger. Like the Pasuk in Shayo says, The Rebbe says, this is, this is really perplexing. Exactly what is Rashi and Taisafais adding to what is clearly delineated in the Gemara? What, what, what are they adding here? The Rebbe always qualifies. He doesn't say this is the way it is. We might say Sharashi that the difference between what Rashi is saying from Taisafais, they they differ from each other in how they explain the word Shenemar as it says. Rashi mefarish ahalimud mi pasuk zebigemara ene rakshakol echabechad marabets ba'oi. Rashi explains that what we learn from this pasuk that the Gemara brings down is that not only will each sadik point with his finger, elagam shebeshas maise yoimar kol echad loshen zu shebekasov. That while they point with their finger, they will also say these words. And therefore, what does Rashi add? If you look carefully, which we would never probably 
notice this, that Rashi adds marabeds Hashem that the tzaddik points with the finger and says, this is Hashem. That while they are in this circle, two things will be happening. They will point at Hashem with their finger. And they will also say these words. That's Rashi. But the Taisafai's descendants of Rashi wrote, each one of the tzaddikim will point at Hashem with a finger. Shem as it says, Taisifais deletes, leaves out the first part of the pasuk. Hashem and the intention of Taisifais is to teach us, Asha Aleph, Haraya the Gemara Shanema Hirak al Zeshemara Kadishbroko Beetzbaoi, that when the Gemara brings down this question, it's only to prove that they were pointing with their finger. It's not proving anything that they said. Basha Bez has Khalas a Pasuk for Amar Bayemahu at the beginning of the Pasuk in Ishayahu, Aina Shayekhas binagas lakan. Does not apply. To this, to this limud in the Gemara about the machol of the tzaddikim in, in, the, in the time to come. But the Rebbe says, okay, fine. So now we have, def- we have uh, identified um, a difference between them. So once we identify a difference, we understand that each one is adding something to, to what it seems has already been said in the Gemara. But now we have to understand what is the difference in their two opinions? In other words, they seem to be invested in something very strongly. They are parsing the text differently. So there has to be a kavana, there has to be an intention. And so what's the difference? What is the difference? What, what are they getting passionate about here? If the tzaddikim said these words, or the tzaddikim did not say these words, why does it make such a difference? Vav, v'habior b'cholzeh. So after the chabal lays out the questions on the Mishnah, the questions on the brisa, the question on the limud that that follows the brisa, and the question on Rashi and Taisafis and their parish on the limud, the chabal says v'habior b'cholzeh, and the explanation in all of this. The Rebbe says as follows. Muvan upashut. It's simply and clearly understood. This whole um, story that the women of Jerusalem or the Jewish women would go out and they would borrow white clothing and they would go dance in the vineyards and the, and the young men would watch them and the words that they said to these young men, this whole story, and that this happened on the 15th day of Av and it happened in Yom Kippur, okay? this is not just the first white party. This is a very holy thing that we're learning about. V'im came, and if so, move on. So then it's understood that during this time, 
none of them had an intention of showcasing their physical milas, their, their physical features. Yoifi, Ashiros, not their beauty, not their wealth, and not any other more material aspect. Kishela Atzman, in and of itself. Ella, but rather, but rather that they were showcasing aspects of their persona that are a reason to marry someone. For example, says, when the beautiful one said, cast your eye on the beauty, their intention was to, uh, they, were, they were intimating something about true beauty, spiritual beauty. Why? Because physical beauty um, is drawn forth from spiritual beauty. And I said, as is known, that giving birth to beautiful children physically depends on the way in which the parents comport themselves in holiness and in purity. Because as is explained in the Tanya and in other places, that is when the children get the, their, um, the aspects of their spiritual beauty and the levushim of their soul. And so it flows from this that they are also beautiful begashmias. And, and here there are two subsidiaries. There's So when they said, look at the beauty, they were talking about two things. They were talking about the specific beauty of this particular woman who belongs to the cohort called Euphapheus, beautiful ones. But it's also intimating but it also speaks to the default beauty that is true for every a young woman of Yerushalayim. And this global beauty this is passed on from generation to generation to children and the children of children until the end of time. And once we understand that what's happening here, kind of the Rebbe says, okay, now I'm going to take you with the elevator up a few thousand stories. And this is not about physical beauty, and it's not about lineage in the in the narrow term. But there's something completely transcendent that's happening here. And when the women said, "Cast your eye on beauty," they were talking about ruchniyistic beauty. And within that itself, they were talking to two aspects. They were talking to the specificity of that cohort, and they were talking to the uh, overall, the global beauty that is found in every Jewish woman. And this is embedded in the DNA of Jewish women. And therefore, um, 
is true for every generation until the end of time. And once you understand the binary, the reference to this specific cohort and the reference to all of now you're in a position to understand the difference between the Mishnah and the Brisa. And of course, we remember that the Rebbe said it would have seemed more intuitive for what's in the Mishnah to be found in the Brisa and what's in the Brisa to be found in the Mishnah. But now the Rebbe is explaining. What is being spoken of in the Mishnah? The Mishnah is in the main addressing the, the laudable characteristic that is global, that is general for all B'nai Yerushalayim. He, because, Aleph, because every Jewish girl has a, a superior spiritual level. And ipso facto, she falls into the category of a woman who fears Hashem, and therefore she should be lauded. She should be praised. Also, this characteristic is so deeply embedded, it's so deeply sourced in her, seeded in her, that it will, uh, it will, it will pass over to her children, to the, those that she births and those that she uh, teaches. As is intimated, as is alluded to in the second Pasuk that we're all familiar with from from Asia's Chayel that the Mishnah brings to new la mipriya deha. Here, the emphasis on her, give her the fruit of her hands, and praise her in the gates of her deeds. Hainu, what does this mean? Shaloi rak mitzad milas atzma shekfar nimnu barichus uprateis lufneze gamal sutayv layechzer v'tas mipri kapeh hitasalel. The Rebbe says that. This is not just speaking to all that was already discussed in the psukim that come before. She does this good deed, she does that good deed, and so on and so forth. That this is talking not just about what she does, but the way in which who she is becomes an indelible stamp on the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Law. Masha Inkane. So this is the Mishnah. In contradistinction, the Brisa, in the Brisa, Medubar Edes Hamaila Haruchan is Hapratish al Kosug Bibnaisi Rishalaya. The Brisa is actually talking about the more differentiated spiritual uh, characteristics of each sub cohort of Bnaisi Rishalaya. Zayin. So now, 50. yeah. How does Tanula um, symbolize the from generation to generation? I'm, 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 I'm... Uh, the emphasis of Rebbe saying is on the word law, her, okay. she. In other words, it's not even about what she says, it's about who she is. Uh, okay. Law. Zion. Okay, so now the Rebbe has explained to us um, that the Mishnah is all about 
globally speaking about the Jewish women, but from where do we have this assurance? Um, Vadas means absolutely certain. From where do we have the certainty that every single woman of Yerushalayim or every single Jewish woman belongs to the cohort of Isha Yiras Hashem, that she's God-fearing. And that it's actually endemic to who she is, Kanal, as has been explained in the previous year. So to answer this question, the Mishnah brings down, and now the Rebbe says, now you see, this is not extraneous. This is absolutely seminal to the Mishnah, that what did the Bnei Yerushalayim say? Bachor, young man, lift your eyes and you will see. What will happen when you lift your eyes? You'll be able to see things that you can't see when you're just on ground level. Don't look at the external. Look beyond the external to the mishpacha. Don't look at what is visible to the naked eye whether the spiritual or the physical, the way you would see it, if you just looked in pedestrian manner. Rebbe says that when it says, don't cast your eye on the beauty, it's talking about the beauty in the widest sense, all kinds of beauty, not just physical beauty, but beautiful characteristics and so on and so forth. But what they said is, don't look at beauty in all of its iterations. Raise up your eye, please. And then you will see, like it says in Yeshayahu, lift your eyes to the heaven. Only when you lift your eye to the heaven will you then be able to see who created this universe. Hainu, this means, when you look with a more elevated look, and a more internal perception, then you could look into the source. Then you look into the root, and you could see from where these things come. And now we're circling back to answer the second question that Rabbi asked about the Mishnah. What? Every single Jewish girl came from a Miyuchastic family? The Rabbi says, absolutely, you bet you. Yes. Because when you're going to saw, when you're going to raise up your eyes, you're going to see where these women come from. So um, a lot of us are familiar with the very, very famous siyum that the Rebbe said on the Sukkah about Miriam Basbilga. The Rebbe cried in that sicha. So it's, this is very reminiscent because there the Rebbe was saying that everybody always understood that Miriam Basbilga was a terrible woman. No, look what an exalted woman she was. And the same thing the Rebbe is doing here. And, and, and the same thing that he said in that conversation with George Rohr, Jews without background, 
I was saying, lift up your eye and you will see the mishpacha, the miyucheses. I think it's so interesting how the Rebbe, like before, was talking about how their children will be, and that there's so much confidence in that. They, they're not even married, they don't even, but yet, this is what kind of children they're going to raise because of where they're coming from. I just think it's so inspiring in a way. It, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, the uh, great contemporary Hasidic poet wrote a book called God's Optimism about how much, how optimistic God is. And and tzaddikim, you know, the Rebbe's optimism. There was there was no sheer to the Rebbe's optimism. Yeah, for sure, for sure, they're going to have amazing children, holy children, wonderful children. Mishpacha b'muvan harach. The Rebbe says we're talking about mishpacha in the widest sense. We're not just talking about the biological parents. We're talking about anybody that has a um, an effect and has uh, influence on the spiritual characteristic, the spiritual unfolding of this daughter. Like, look. <laughs> Really, the Rebbe is really giving us a very big job here. He's saying every person you meet, understand that you're standing in, in the presence of royalty. You're standing in the presence of meyuchastika people. It's not a pashtika thing. So included in the category of mishpacha are the teachers and the ones that are and like we find in a number of places in the Gemara uh, where teachers are considered parents. And especially, it, well, and, 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 and in detail, and especially, and especially, you could say that the whole nation is her mishpacha. She comes from the Jewish family. Because she received genetically a a, a heritage, a a Yerusha. Uh, uh, She inherited these Jewish characteristics, these exalted aspects. And when you look in this way, here you will see, first of all, that those for, uh, about whom you cannot easily discern and recognize spiritual characteristics. This is just the external veneer. Don't be impressed. Keep digging. But on the innermost level, because they are from the Jewish family, Every single Jew is in the category of Isha Yiras Hashem. She's a woman that 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 fears Hashem. Therefore, she should be lauded, even if at this moment it's obscured. 
Uh, Joni's asking a question, is this not predicated on the initial woman observing Tarot's Mishpacha? I learned that those children not born that way are somehow behind the eight ball. Okay, so Joni, this is amongst, I don't want to give a number because I, I just, I don't know. I, I know nothing about, you know, just a tiny bit of the Rebbe's tire, but there have to be billions, billions of ways in which we see how the Rebbe diligently diligently highlighted the, the tzitkos, the, the righteousness and the beauty and the exalted level of every Jew and left to the side, he did not engage with or expound upon or the things that it says. Now, you're, you're saying something that we can't say it's not found in our sources. But if you're asking the Rebbe's Torah from, through the Rebbe's perception, through his perspective, how he taught us to look at every Jew, this is it. And once the Rebbe said these words, this, this becomes the Matthias. This, this becomes the way it is. It's not, it just doesn't just remain um, somehow like spiritually, you know, ethereally our truth, but it becomes, it becomes the Matthias, it becomes the fact. I Yes, it does talk about the Indian of B'nai Nida, et cetera, et cetera. But the Rebbe spoke about ways in which tshuva can, can kind of bypass that and so on and so forth. Now, does this remain of value? And is this something that in certain families they look for? Yes, uh, I'm, I'm not going to massage away that truth. Um, but I will say that when I hear some of the things people look for, it, it, it just, it, it's mind boggling. This is, I would say, from the more uh, logical things. Okay, so number one, when you when you look at 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 all Jewish women this way, you will understand that these these characteristics are found, even if at the at this time they are obscured. And Bayes, you say Ramizu, you'll understand even more. That the true, the profound characteristics of B'nai Yerushalayim is not the beauty, not the physical beauty, and not the spiritual beauty. The Rebbe is saying something here very, very strong, that when you're going to look this way, you're going to understand that what can be qualified and quantified, what is discernible to the eye, on whatever level you're talking about, physical beauty, spiritual beauty, this is not the true maila of the B'nai Mishpacha. But rather, what are, what, is, what are the truly stellar characteristics of B'nai Yerushalayim or B'nai Yisrael it's their family. And these are characteristics that come to each Jewish woman, she inherits them, irrespective of what she does or doesn't do, irrespective of what her parents do or don't do, she inherits these milas and she passes them onward. So once you have 
this truth set forth definitively. Okay, this is layer one in the Mishnah. Then the Brisa adds, After you understand the Mishnah, that the, all, the true thing to fixate on is Mishpacha, and because every Jewish woman comes from this Mishpacha, she is just genetically predisposed to be a woman that fears Hashem and therefore should be lauded. Once you understand the proof text and you recognize the essential characteristic of mishpacha that is embedded in every Bas Yisrael, for which reason she is referred to as Isha Yiras Hashem, Oz only then Yesh Makaim Lahaklil Bitishalol. Only then can you include in what you laud her about Lairakis Yiras Hashem Shala. Not only the way in which she fears Hashem, now you could speak in more differentiated terms about her specific chain, her specific race, and her specific beauty. Because once you, your point of departure is this, is this, um, basis that she comes from the Mishpachas Am Yisrael and she has Yiras Hashem because of that, that's her default, then everything else that you're going to add is truth. It's not Sheker. It's not Hevel. And therefore, we find in the Brisa, that's why we found in the Brisa that each subsidiary cohort of B'nai Yerushalayim spoke and expressed their specific Mila. This is a characteristic, a, a path of characteristic that is seen and revealed. Yefefeis, what did the beautiful one say? Regarding the, the women, the young women of Yerushalayim, about whom you can see in revealed fashion their spiritual characteristics, the beauty of the um, characteristics of their soul. So they said, cast your eye on the beauty. They said, cast your eyes upon those for whom these characteristics are in revealed fashion. That's what the beautiful one said. The ones that came from a great lineage. This is the cohort about whom it could be said that their spiritual characteristics are not mamish so manifest, but because they emerge from families, they come from people that learn Tyran, had from generations. We don't doubt that the 
ancestors, that the elders of the family uh, educated their daughters to comport themselves in this way. And that they too will be their children in these ways. And therefore this cohort says, yes, 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 cast your eye on the family because the family is kind of some sort of um, insurance policy or some sort of indicator. What about those that fall into the category of less than beautiful. This is a category of the daughters of that at that point, you can't really see any spiritual characteristics, uh, positive spiritual characteristics. And uh, they're not discernible in their parents' uh, um, behavior either. And they also did not have educators that educated them in the ways of It's not their fault that they are less than beautiful. This is the result of, of, of their background. The ruchnius, that they are and therefore this also reflects in their less than beautiful physical external. But they are still referred to as Listen to what the Rebbe says. Because they are the fact that they are in the category of they recognize what they lack. And this arouses in them a feeling of humility and sadness and bitterness. They don't look for excuses. They, they feel sad about their situation. They don't look to cast blame on the fact that they had nobody to teach them. And in so lamenting on their state, they accept upon themselves the yoke of Hashem's sovereignty, and they do so with Kabbalah's all. And now the Rebbe is answering a question they asked before. Wasn't everybody taking a wife with Shem Shemayim? Wasn't the beauty a spiritual beauty? So Shem Shemayim. Wasn't the family talking about the fact that if there are a family, there's Yerushalayim, Vaita L'shem Shemayim. So they're all L'shem Shemayim. So what, 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 was, what was the M'chu'orei saying that was novel? But now the Rebbe answers the question that because they really felt broken at their spiritual state and they did not cast blame on anybody else, but they looked inner, inside of themselves and they accepted therefore when they said when they said take what is allotted to you from place of, of shame of shame that they really want a chasen that they're not looking for spiritual beauty that is easily discernible. 
they, they have a, um, a, a more internal, a more, um, that's not the right word, uh, a more profound way of understanding they're not looking for the external, you know, for, for, the, for the spiritual arm candy. They're looking for the depth and the beauty that is found in the B'nai Mikain, And through this becomes revealed afterwards, And through this, you could see that even though they fall in the category of that they have the Mila of Mishpacha. So there's the answer. So that's the that's where the Reb is stressing that even like you said before about the Levushim and the children of Nida or whatever, the Reb is finding right here something that outweighs that. Correct. Correct. Um and that's why the Mukhares say, yes, as the Mishnah says, all the women said, set your eyes on the Mishpacha. Because this brokenheartedness that a Jewish woman has. So to me, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can learn Shatim, but it seems to me they have a story about, about Teshuvah. That the brokenheartedness of the Bas Yisrael, she's brokenhearted because she seemingly belongs or belonged to that cohort, without any spiritual characteristic. What is this brokenheartedness based on? It's based on the fact that she comes from Mishpachas Yisrael, that she's a Bas Avram, Besara, Nitzchak, and Rivka, Vachulei, Vachulei, Bas Sara, Rivka, Rachavalei, Vachain, Margishahi. And therefore she feels, like Yermiyahu says, Mar Ozvicha is Hashem Elokecha. The forsaking of Hashem, your God, is bitter. She feels how bitter it is to be at a distance from Hashem. Tess. Hachilu kanal, the above-mentioned difference between the Mishnah and the Brisa, between the Mishnah and the Brisa, she'anidun b'mishnah hu ha'maylak lolishel kol b'nai that what is being discussed in the Mishnah is the global, the general characteristic of all Jewish women, and the Brisa, it's differentiated according to category. So the Rebbe says, this difference, it also finds expression in, not just in the content, but also in the flow of what comes next. What comes next? The limud about the circle of the tzaddikim. The machal boli de bitoy ha'achdos v'hashalom shahayu bein benois yerushalayim. When the women danced in a circle, this gave full expression to the unity and the peace that resided amongst all Jewish women. Shalachin yatsu bechlei lavan sheulin shaloi levayishes misha einloi. As the mission explains there that they would borrow their clothing not to embarrass the girls that did not own this beautiful white clothing. So therefore nobody wore their own clothing. So it was impossible to discern who was rich, who was stylish, who possessed um, 
you know, these clothing, because everybody knew that whenever anybody's wearing, it doesn't belong to them. Every Friday night here, I have my, my holy girls, they, they do the same thing. Anytime I say, that's a beautiful dress, they'll tell me who it belongs to. It's almost like they never come in their own clothing. It's so interesting. Holy. And from this, we can understand the rest of the Mishnah. And the Mishnah, after the Mishnah says that they went out in, in the borrowed white clothing and they did this not to embarrass the ones that wouldn't own it themselves, then the Mishnah says, Go out and gaze, daughters of Zion, on the King Shlomo. And here, this is a reference to gazing upon Hashem. Gaze upon the king to whom belongs peace. This means, this is the explanation of these words. When is it possible? When is it feasible for there to be complete unity and peace amongst all the girls of Yerushalayim? Basically all the Jews. Only when you go out and you gaze at Hashem. When you're engaged in something that is connected to Hashem, the king, to whom peace belongs, then you could make peace. This brings to peace amongst all the girls of Yerushalayim. Now the Rebbe says, And this kind of achdos can manifest in two different ways. What the Rebbe does here is kind of reminiscent to um, number of sikhs where the Rebbe talks about the difference in Achdos between the Shvatim, Mitzad, their father, that they were all from one father from Yaakov. But then there's a different unity, a higher level of unity that comes irrespective of the differentiation, irrespective of the fact that they had different mothers and the different mothers vested then with different chunais, with different uh, soul powers and so on and so forth. And yet there's a unity that comes from differentiation. So the Rebbe says like this. There's a innermost point that each one possesses. And on that level, they are one existence. They all exist as daughters of Yerushalayim, without any differentiation. And then there's a second time type of achdos There's an achdos that comes irrespective of the fact that they belong to different cohorts and they have different milers. And in this way, they are different from each other. Like it says, we have a famous um, teaching in Sanhedrin that people have different opinions. And irrespective of the fact that there are real differences, they are in Achtos. And this is the difference between the Mishnah and the Brisa. The Mishnah, 
The Mishnah is talking globally about all Jews, about and the way in which we are literally we are one existence, we are one body. But in the Brisa, where we get a feel for the differentiation, the novelty is it's not because their differences are abnegated. It's not because you don't recognize the differences. On the contrary, irrespective of the manifest differences that exist between these cohorts, and they speak of these differences in full-throated fashion. They don't try to massage them away. They all strode forward together in one big circle, in peace and in unity. And now we're in a position to understand what comes next in the Gemara. In the future, Hashem will make one big circle with Sadikim, and each one will point with their finger. And what, so what's the content of this limut? What is the Gemara teaching us? That each Sadik will point to God with his finger. In consonance with his level, with his capacity to grasp. And nevertheless, at the same time, they will still be united in one big circle. I have to confess, you know, the mind's a very interesting thing and it wanders of its own volition. So my mind did wander back to many years ago in Camp Amuna in one big circle in the field on Shabbos Nachmu on Friday night. Good memory. Yud. Bifratiyos, specifically. Ha'efen ha'sheni shal ha'shalom ba'achdos. Specifically in this second peace and unity. Gam mitzad ha'pratim. That comes not despite the differentiation, but because of the differentiation. And in this second of the two ways in which you can achieve unity, this has two subsidiary aspects. So within the binary, there's a second binary. And now the Rebbe is going to bring us back to the difference between Rashi and Teisvais that in the differentiation that the tzaddikim have, in the unity that comes about because of the differentiation, there's two different expressions thereof. Aleph. Although each tzaddik is different from his friend in his avoida and in his madrega, but because God is sitting in the middle of the circle, and when you're in front of God, all the differences fade away. Hashem makes peace in, in the exalted levels, in, in, in the heavens. 
Beinehem. He makes peace. Shakala tzadikim. Im kol achalukim shebeinehem. Yiu behis achdus kulam yachad b'machal echad. They're all there. There, there, there is a unity that comes about in the presence of Hashem. In the presence of Hashem, all the differentiation, all the um, specifications fade away. But there's another way. But there's another model in which each tzaddik impacts and intersects. There's an intersectionality between every tzaddik and his friend. Each one impacts the other from his avoida and from his station. Until they all become intersected and there is a complete unity between all of the differences of the tzaddikim. And this is the novel thing that Rashi taught. Each one points with his finger, each tzaddik points with his finger. And at the same time that he points, he says, This is God, etc. This means, We know Hasidic speech is always about the Zulas, about the other person. Because you don't need to speak for yourself. So speech is in and of malchus, of sovereignty, of, of being mashpia on somebody else. That every tzaddik yoimar will, will be mashpia l'chol shara tzaddikim, to the rest of the tzaddikim shebemachol that are in the circle. Me'avadasoyu madrigasoyuhu. From his specific avoida, from his specific madriga. Masha'inkin l'dasa taisvays. In contradistinction, in the opinion of the taisvays, the only thing that happened in the Machal was that they were able to see and point to God. But the, but, but the saying of these words, was not something that was said from one side to the others that were in the circle, as a way of affecting the other. It was said as a praise to God, but not as something they said to each other to impact each other. Because in the Shita, in the opinion of the Taisvais, what the Taisafais is teaching in their view, the, the peace and the unity that existed in that circle is not a unity and a peace that comes from the commingling and the intersectionality of the differences of each side. Yud Aleph. Inyan HaMachol Be'igol, the concept of the dance, specifically in a circle, Mirames Abachinas Belikvul Sha'inle Saif, hints at an aspect of infinity that has no end. Kimavur Barabenu Bachaya. Rabbeinu Bachaya explains this um, this Mishnah. And he says in these words that in the future Hashem will make a, a, a circle dance for the tzaddikim, that this means that their pleasure and their joy, that of the tzaddikim, 
will transcend any measure and any parameter high known. That means that although each one will point to Hashem with their finger, they will point with their finger, which means it will be in accordance with their level and their ability to understand. But it will be in such a way that in that time, what will be revealed and what will be illuminated is the essential nikuda, the keser shel madre gosai. Okay, so Hasidus, the keser always shows on atzmus, on, on, on the non differentiated, potent point. As Rabbeinu Bechaya says, that's what's going to be mayor. She That's what it means. It doesn't mean that they're actually going to be in a circle dance. It means that they're going to be privy to a revelation that will surpass anything they heretofore experienced. It's going to be a transcendent revelation that is infinite. And that's why the Taisafes explains that there cannot be intersectionality. Because his scholars, because inclusion, fusion, intersectionality, whatever word you want to use here, is only possible when there's his spashtos, when, when you unfurl from that central point. And then in that unfurling, there's a possibility for you to see differentiation and different madrekas that are outside of the central point, the, the keser. Maybe, I haven't thought this through properly, so, but maybe, maybe you could say that, um, let's say you have a family and I, I'm sure that every mother and father has to at some point wonder at just how different their children are from each other. It, it's like, the same genetic material. How, how did this happen? You give birth to different worlds, okay? But and so there, you could think about escalalus. You could think about how these different worlds can interact and and how they get along and how they don't get along, so on and so forth. Because in the hispastos, in the unfurling of their different characteristics, there's room for all of this. There's room for differentiation, and therefore there's room for them to get along or not. God forbid. But when you look at your children, there are some times where all you see is just the transcendent, profound truth of who they are and where they came from. And it's not about the ways in which they're different. It's in that optimistic point. And there, you can't talk about escalos. You can't talk about fusion. You can't talk about intersectionality. You can't talk about the way in which they intersect and come together and complement each other and all this because there's nothing there's just the fact of of where they come from of who they are so binikuda atsmishal madrega achas ein makam madrega cheres so when you're when you're operating on that level of of that essential point there's no room for differentiation velachem behechach leimar shahashalam va'achdash bemachul himrak ba'ifin alef hanal so on that level 
Okay, if the Rabbeinu B'chayah is saying that this is talking about a time when they're going to be privy to a revelation that's about the Keser, that's about a transcendent point, there's no room for differentiation. So it has to be that the unity comes according to the first, the first type of unity. And this aligns with the Maimer Chazal. There's a Maimer Chazal in Baba Basra. Shala Asid in the future called Echad Nichvem Shal That in time to come, each one will be singed or burnt by the chupa of their friend. Chupa speaks to the idea of something that envelops you. Okay. It's a lot of beautiful letters from the Rebbe that speaks about what happens under the chupa and the transcendent lights that are unleashed under the chupa during a marriage. So chuppah is always the Indian of the mind. I go to Beishter, I probably do want to... I know this means. Ha-keser shal tzadik zeh umadregasai, the keser, the highest point, and his level, the chuppah, the keser, ain't bahem iskalos. And when you're talking about this point, when you're talking about chuppah, when you're talking about oifen makif, transcendent, when you're talking about the crown, the keser, there's no room, there's no space here for his galalos, for, for fusion, for intersectionality. Adrab, on the, on the contrary, one singes the other. One, they can't be mashpia on each other, there can't be a fusion because each one is transcendent and so different. And there's no, there was no unfurling. So there's no kind of room for negotiation of how you're going to intersect with something else. There's just the singeing from the mighty fire. The Yishleimar, or we might say, Sha'aliba de Rashi, that in accordance with Rashi's opinion, This reality, where each tzaddik's chuppah will only singe the other. There'll be no way in which there can be cross-sectioning, cross-pollination, will only be at the beginning of Mashiach's Saitan. Aval but afterwards, but then will be revealed the highest level, the truest, most profound level of Achdus that comes from Atmos. And we, what do we know about Atmos? And Atmos can contain all antithetical aspects. Atmos can contain all paradox. It can contain all opposites. And when Atmos is revealed, And then, because of the revelation of Atmos, there will be complete fusion, complete intersectionality of all the madrigas of the tzaddikim, inclusive of the keser, which until this point could not ever coincide, much less um, commingle with the keser of somebody else. And this will be finally the true shalom and the true achdos, the true peace and the true unity. And that is our sicha for today. And um, 
yeah, this is a sikha that needs to be studied more than once um, and, and allows us to just the privilege, the, the, the magnificent privilege of being placed on a pedestal, of being placed so high in a mountain where we could see that brings us up to his perch uh, to look at a Mishnah that's followed by a Brisa, that's followed by a Limud, that has Rashi and Taisvais on it, all to understand what, what is being said here. So yeah. it should help us and we should be able to, um, to, to fulfill all the faith and all the belief that the Ebeshtah has in us, that the Rebbe has in us and in, in our inner beauty. And this is taught by the behavior of B'nai Yerushalayim. Whole, now you give us four levels of that, Esther. No less. It's all taught on the behavior of B'nai Yerushalayim. Women, not women, girls are coming to teach this. And then Mishnah and then Brysa and everybody expounds on this whole Gilui of Eberster by the behavior of B'nai Yerushalayim. It's amazing. Well, I mean, Klal Yisrael are B'nai Yerushalayim, right? We're, we're, we're Hashem's wife. That's true. But nevertheless, look what we come to teach. Yeah. So that's. Uh, I'm just wondering if you can uh, unpack. I know it's so late, but I just I don't really still see like the connection with the circles. Is the Rebbe bringing? And maybe this is just me extrapolating. But is the Rebbe saying that similar to how you have these different circles and the levels of the circles with the tzaddikim? Similarly, with the Benai Yerushalayim, on a simple level, there's differences, but on a deeper level, once you look beyond that, it all comes down to the etim. Is that what the Rebbe is bringing out here? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. didn't, yeah. I missed that paragraph of connection. Well, because I, I, I should have, I, I should have gone back to that. But you remember how the Rebbe said that it's not mistaber to say that the connection is just the word machol, that it has to be something deeper. So thank you, Hani, for, for, for bringing that to the fore for all of us, because I should have gone back to connect that. Rishi, I Thank just you. wanted to share, um, you mentioned the parenting idea and my mind kept going there also when you were teaching. There's this idea that I, I heard recently that you know our generation, it's like a no brainer that we have unconditional love for our children. It's not something people really grapple with but this idea was to have unconditional pride which can be confusing because pride generally speaking is connected to an accomplishment. Um, so when I when you were kind of going through this, that's what was coming to mind, that maybe this is how to understand what that means to have unconditional pride. That's so beautiful. That, that's so beautiful. And children know when you're proud of them or not. And, and they pick up on that. that. Thank you so much for adding that. Can I, can yeah. I ask something? Of course. It's absolutely incredible, Sikha. But at one point, the Rebbe seems to be saying that if somebody is beautiful physically, it shows that they're beautiful spiritually. Um, and similarly, if they're from a, a wonderful mishpacha, it will also show something wonderful about them. Um, it seems to fly in the face of what we actually see in our world. Maybe it's Adam Sheker, but sometimes we see beautiful people physically, you know, like the movie stars are not the most beautiful spiritually necessarily and 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 well how do you know i think the rabbi is saying don't you know don't read people magazine don't don't judge them on their external behavior in other words the rabbi is pushing us to look beyond the facade that is presented to us that we normally you know become very busy with 
In other words, the facade is not necessarily an indication of. The behavior, the, 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 the behavioral facade is not an indication of what is beneath. Ah, okay. Thank you. Okay, wishing everyone a beautiful week, a week in which we do not run in any kind of circle but this one. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you very much. Be well, everyone.